Raised the Jolly Roger with a slick double play. And oh, what a stop, Hayes! There's one! Oh, zip, zap, kazoo! The Buckos just turned two! Ground ball, left side, picked. Oh, Castillo, a pretty play on the first, and a double play! In between hop, and now throwing toward third base, a pick by Hayes! Oh, my goodness, what a play! Key Brian Hayes and Michael Chavis turn it into a double play! Thank you for joining the 412 Double Play Podcast. Rough roads continue for the Bucks this past week. We'll break it down, but I am, as always, your host, Michael Castigano, joined by my co-host, Ed Wassel. Ed, how are you doing today? Not bad, not bad at all. How about you? I was looking at the predictions from last week, and I actually called both series, one and one against the Tigers, one and two against the D-backs. I'm not happy about those, because I feel like we had opportunities in at least the two losses against the Diamondbacks. But yeah, there was definitely some squandered opportunities there. So uh, let's quickly pivot to the roster roundup. Only roster move this past week. Left-handed pitcher Rob Zastrzny reinstated from the injured list. And Miguel Andujar was DFA'd again. Likely clears and goes back to Indianapolis because of the contract. But... Uh, Zestrisny did get into, I think he just played today. I don't think he played in any of the other games. And looked okay. A little bit of wildness, but uh, what are your thoughts on Andujar and his... I mean, it was a couple weeks that he was on the roster because he came in in the National Series. So... Uh, I mean, it's, it's not a big loss putting it down. I think everyone knew it was just going to be a short stint with this call-up. Yep. I could see another team maybe scooping him up. I don't know what kind of injuries are out there across the league. Not paying much attention. <clears throat> like you had mentioned, though, with this contract, might deter a few teams from taking a shot at him. But I'm yeah, not I... upset that he got sent down. I kind of feel like it was just, he's just kind of fell into space. And it, it was inevitable, no matter, unless he was like playing lights out, but he wasn't going to be staying on. And let's look at the weekly recap. So we had our five games in the past seven days, two game series with Tigers and Motor City shut out 4 0 in game one. Bats couldn't get anything going against Michael Lorenzen. Five hits against 12 strikeouts in the game. And then completely different story in game two, Eduardo Rodriguez, who's coming in with like a two-something ERA. Bucks tagged him for four runs in, I think, four or five innings. And then they won that game 8-0. Rich Hill had his best start as a Pirate, allowing just one hit. It was the only hit in the game for the Tigers, and that ball just glanced off his glove. Six innings, two walks, seven strikeouts. 
So the Tiger series, really Jekyll and Hyde kind of situation where we had nothing in game one, all of it in game two. Would have been cool to even that out a little bit, but yeah, I overall think forgot probably the most exciting clip from that second game against the Tigers. Oh, where uh, Rich Hill beat Cabrera, Miguel Cabrera in a foot race to first base. Yeah, that was yep. that was pretty fun. Yeah, that was something because Hill's forty four. 43 or 44, and then Miggy's 42. So that must have been the slowest race ever. (laughs) They had to use an abacus to time them. And then this weekend at home against Arizona, Oviedo in game one showed off a new two-seamer. I checked after the game. Baseball Savant shows only three times that he used it in the game. I think it was higher, and they maybe registered it as a four-seamer. He still was having some command issues, but six innings, two hits, one run, three walks, seven Ks is the best that he's looked in a while. Uh, the Pirates jumped all over D-back starter and legit Cy Young contender. Another two-something ERA coming into it. Zach Gallen tagged him for eight runs in 3.2 innings as we won game one 13-3. was kind of a situation where... Uh, Wish that we had saved some of those runs for the rest of the weekend because Keller on for game two Saturday. Another quality start only allowed one base runner through the first five innings. It was a solo home run to Cattell Marte in the first, but then in the sixth, he ran into some trouble, hit by pitch, infield single, infield single, and uh, I think he got a. Oh, it was a ground out back to him. And he did give up a run that inning. It came out of the game. Robert Stevenson came in for the seventh and gave up a two-run shot. The team lost 4-3. And then today, was just the game was just a mess. Errors, wild pitches, no hits. I mean, we only got three total hits. And, I mean, they were all in a row scoring a couple runs. But losing 8-3 to three is just really frustrating in that one. And Contreras was giving up tons of hard contact. So... It could have been even worse than that. So let's talk through that. The Tiger series, I feel like, you know, game one and game two just were what they were. Um, the Arizona series, though, game one, they attacked. Game two, we had the same lineup for the first time all season. We uh, Shelty repeated a lineup. Didn't go quite as well. Although... We got some runs, at least. And then um, Keller coming out after six. I don't know if you got to watch any of the games or read about it, but what were your thoughts about Keller coming out? He was at only 84 pitches at the time. That's the one thing that threw me off. Because, you know, a week or two ago, we had mentioned how I was upset that they left him in for the complete game. That's why I'm asking with the you. Count being higher. Yep. But and I and I had said, you know, if he was only in the 80s, all right, let him, let him ride. So I think they should have left him in for one more inning, um, unless he had said something where where he was, you know, saying, hey, you know, I'm gassed or this or that. But yeah, there was something after the game where Shelty was saying it was like a release point 
issue and Keller was saying something else. And I forget what Keller was saying, but it for some reason they had different responses as to why Keller was struggling in the sixth. But it basically was something where Chelsea was like, okay, we've got a 3-2 lead. We've got a rested bullpen because they didn't do anything, you know, Friday. Didn't have to do anything Thursday because day was off. And Wednesday, they didn't get used. Maybe like two guys, I think. So it was kind of worth it to say, okay, Stevenson, Holderman, Bednar, they should be able to take this. Steven come, Stevenson comes in, hard single, big home run. And it doesn't help that he came in today and he gave up a bunch of runs when we were already down a run. And so all the fan base is really hating on him. But I mean, he's given up a lot of hard contact. His walk rates last season were like non-existent. And now he's walking a batter an inning. So that's tough. Definitely some room to grow there. Dwayne Underwood Jr. came out of the game Friday with an in- I think it was Friday. Um, I believe well, that was when he was covering third. Uh, it was after, yeah, it may have been that when he after he came out. But it was a forearm discomfort or something like that. And then he he said after the game that he felt fine no injured list or anything like that. He has not pitched since then in the games, but allegedly is fine, according to him. But today, five wild pitches, and they could have kind of gone either way because not all of them were in the dirt and bounced. But um, Delay, like many catchers in the game today, has a one-knee approach, and he tried to backhand a couple of these balls, and they glanced off the heel of his glove, or he would just completely miss them, and runners were taking advantage. Um, we They've got some speedy guys on the Diamondbacks. Corbin Carroll kept taking advantage. I think he stole two bases in the series, plus he advanced once or twice on the wild pitches, but DeLay just had a bad game. Five wild pitches that... At least three of them he should have been able to corral. And then he had an error in the ninth inning trying to catch a would-be base stealer. And he did not catch them. And then they advanced to third. So, yeah, that, that one knee approach with catchers really hinders the majority of their defense when it comes to pitches in the dirt, stuff like that. So it's a mixed bag. Not a lot of people are fans of it. It's the reason they do that is for framing purposes to be able to f- get down and frame those low pitches. Which, when you have sinker ballers or guys throwing two seamers, like we, we have a number of them, or these low sliders coming in, then that's going to be a benefit. But when there's guys on base, I feel like maybe you need to not be doing that because which that can't be comfortable, but you know. Uh, Keller in the sixth inning the other day, he was pitching out of the stretch for the first time all game. And that wouldn't have been comfortable for him. So sometimes you kind of just have to change your approach to be able to have success. Yeah, I agree. But it was just like literally, I mean, Hayes had a throwing error 
uh, it looked like he had a weird grip on the ball, and it just kind of sailed on him. And then Moretta had a throwing error, also seemed like he was rushing to throw, and should, definitely should have gotten it. Either that or he should have let Key take it, because I think Hayes would have been able to make that throw. But um, ends up with a, a run scoring that inning. I think each of the wild pitches ended up with a run scoring. And there was one on the Diamondbacks. So the first run of the game, kind of just going through because I had to suffer through all of this game today. Connor Joe walks and then a pickoff attempt by Merrill Kelly, where he like airmails it and the ball rolls all the way down the line, starts chasing the ball girl. And Joe gets to third. And on the next pitch, Kelly uh, like drops a slider in the dirt and it gets past the catcher. And Joe like is winded because he's gone first to third pretty quick. And he manages to get home before they can get to him. Or I, th- I think the catcher actually missed the throw. And I was like, okay, so it's just going to be one of those games. But uh, they didn't make any mistakes after that. It was just us. So it was kind of a frustrating series. And I guess you're just going to kind of have Little League-style losses sometimes when you're not an elite team. <laughs> and it's it's kind of frustrating. Like, Delay's not our long-term answer at catcher. He's not even our long-term answer at backup catcher. And I I've yeah. appreciated what he's provided for the team this season. But... You know, there are going to be other options. Yeah, and when when the offense is scuffling, the defense really needs to step up. Otherwise, you've got no chance. Yep. And I think the misplays by delay, even though it's making people more encouraged to bring up Davis or bring up Endy, this is more reason why they shouldn't come up yet. Because this is going to be a big stage where they're going to have to be at their best, they need to keep working on their receiving skills. Now, Davis has been spending some time in right field for some reason in Altoona. I don't know if it's just to get at bats or if his knees are bothering him or what the situation is. But he should at least be catching three games a week. I'd have to go back and look at the stat line if that is the case, but I know he was in right field Saturday's game. I think he was catching tonight. I mean, he's still hitting well. And we could talk about it in our Down on the Farm segment. Indianapolis uh, split their series with the Iowa Cubs. Malcolm Nunez starting to heat up. A 538, 600, 846 triple slash on the week with six RBI. And Quinn Priester continues his hot start to the season. Two starts, 12 innings, 10 hits, one run total with three walks and 11 strikeouts. The Indians are now 21 and 23. Altoona Curve also split their week-long series against the Bowie Bay Sox. The over Paguero turning a corner, slugging 885 on the week with two long balls, three stolen bases. The Curve are now 18 and 19 on the season. Uh, lower levels not as good. Rough week in Greensboro, especially as the high A affiliate dropped all six games against the Asheville Taurus. Jackson Glenn posted a 1.152 OPS on the week with six RBI for the squad as the Grasshoppers dropped to 20 and 19. 
And finally, Bradenton, they did a little bit better, managing to win one of six this week against the Clearwater Threshers. J.P. Massey continues to pitch lights out. Six-inning shutout performance, lowering his season ERA to a 2.76. The Marauders are also, are they will drop to uh, 21 and 18 on the year. I believe they have the best record in the affiliates, yes. So, uh, Peggy heating up. Uh, Davis also still doing really well. Had, as we said, hammering home runs. I think he's hitting, he's leading all of double uh, A ball in OPS, slugging probably home runs overall, just like goatness. So it, it's nice to see that being that 1 1 pick is something that is rewarding to the team. Maybe making a segue or kind of a delayed segue in case if, if there's any thoughts that you have on the on the farm system and their, their progress this past week. No, I think we can go into this. Use your segue and go into that special you were talking about. All right. Well, our special for this week is our still way too early draft preview. We are a little over a month away from the 2023 MLB draft where the Pirates will have the first overall pick for the second time in three years. Last time around, there was a group of about four to five players who could have gone first. Eventually, Henry Davis got the call. But who will be shaking hands with Rob Manfred and donning the yellow P this time around? With regular season play wrapping up for these potential draftees, we want to talk about it now. Starting off with number one, the obvious pick right now, Dylan Cruz, outfielder from LSU. Even before the season started, he was looking like a clear-cut favorite, and his spring has only cemented that fact. He currently has a 429, 580, 730 triple slash over 54 games with an average exit velocity north of 100 miles per hour. 13 doubles, 14 home runs, 56 walks to 31 strikeouts. Somehow has been hit by pitches 12 times in that stretch, which seems to ensure that we end up taking him given Henry's magnetism for the ball at the plate. His rankings are all off the chart as MLB has him graded with a 65 overall 70 hit tool. Fangraphs has him at a 55, but that is also the highest that they have for anyone on the draft list. Potential downsides for Cruz. He has had some struggles against off-speed stuff, specifically slider recognition and contact. We don't want to run into another situation like we have with Nick Gonzalez, where he is striking out consistently against the off-speed breaking pitches. He is also likely to move to a corner outfield, though I've read mixed reviews on that. Potentially could be left fielder, center fielder, right fielder, maybe has kind of like a below average play in center field or potentially average. But there's not a ton of downside. His floor seems crazy high as long as he does figure out the breaking stuff. I think he's got some all-star potential. Ed, let's talk through your thoughts on Mr. Cruz. Uh, Personally, my opinion, I don't see how the Pirates can pass up on Cruz. I know I was texting you either earlier today or yesterday saying how I feel like if he is drafted 1-1, he can probably be major league ready within two years. You know, we were talking about if Davis didn't get hurt, could he have been in that same situation? The bat, yes. But obviously, you know, being a catcher, he needs more more reps behind the plate. 
Right. As an outfielder, I think that you will have more opportunities to play because there's more places that you can play. And it's not as physically taxing as being a catcher. Plus, there's less to the gameplay. You're not working with pitchers. You're, You're just... You've got your card out there as far as where you need to stand. And your whole thing is just catching, throwing, and then focus on hitting. And Cruz does a lot of hitting. Yeah, he's he's the best hitter in this draft class, hands down. I don't know if it's hands down, though, because if the Pirates don't take Cruz, which, like I said, I've yet to read anything with a prediction saying otherwise, but we do need to look at options just in case. I think the next best player, and pretty close to Cruz, honestly, if you look at the stat line, is an outfielder from Florida, Wyatt Langford. He's got a bit of a bigger frame, possibly more power potential. He did miss some time this spring with a reported ruptured testicle after being hit in the grind with a pitch back in March. Despite that, he has put up some baller numbers, pun not intended, maybe a little intended. 47 games, he has a 408, 536, 846 triple slash with 20 doubles, 16 home runs, and a walk-to-strikeout ratio of 44 to 32. Legitimate five-tool potential player, certainly worthy of consideration at first overall. There have been some issues with secondary pitches, outer third-place stuff, given he has a very compact, quick swing. But overall, a lot to like with Langford. Any thoughts that you had on Langford at this point? No, I did look into him a little bit, and I... I actually think his OPS is, is it a little bit higher than Cruz? On the yeah, because his slugging's higher. But I, I think there was, I want to say it was almost a definite that he was going to have to move out of center field. That is, yes. Uh, right now, I think he's playing left field. I don't even think he is in center. Okay. Or I do, I do feel like Cruz can probably stick at center. I mean, not that we necessarily are looking for a center fielder at this point, but, but it's like drafting a shortstop. That's the most athletic guy in the field. Center field is the most athletic guy in the outfield. Right. It, you know, if you can stick at center, you can play either the other, either of the other two positions. Yeah. So, so if we're saying that Cruz or Langford, regardless of which, which one we take, can play left field at PNC Park, which is basically a second center, ideally that they'll be fine yeah and i mean the, the comps with those two are nice because they do both play in the same conference so they're facing a lot of the same talent yep so yeah cruz has an 846 slugging and uh or cruz has a 730 slugging and langford has an 846 so he's he's got a lot more home runs that he's put up I think a big reason behind that is that Cruz isn't getting as many pitches to hit. And he doesn't have a ton of offense around him, but I want to talk about this third guy on the list who is a teammate of his. Now there is an acronym I've seen on the internet. T I N S T A A P P Tinstap stands for there's no such thing as a pitching prospect, but Someone needs to throw the ball, and top talent in the draft is the right-hander from LSU, Paul Skeens. 14 games, 86.2 innings, a minuscule 1.77 ERA, 0.75 whip, 164 strikeouts to just 15 walks. 
he's putting up some video game number stuff. I didn't look at his specific pitches, but I, I can imagine him being one of the top pitchers taken, if not the top pitcher. And I would be hesitant, especially because frequently these top college pitchers, Kumar Rocker, for instance, end up needing Tommy John pretty early on because they've had that taxing schedule. I think they've been working schemes okay. He was a transfer from Air Force, had some pretty good numbers there. Fastball, slider, I think he's got an advanced changeup, which is surprising at the college level. But um, what? how would you react if night of the draft, they call overall Paul Skeens? Well, uh, right before we started recording, we were kind of discussing this segment a little bit, and we didn't give either of our options that we were going to bring up. And I told you it was kind of a 1A and 1B scenario for me. And it was between Cruz and Skeens. Oh, okay. It's, it's for me, it's, you know, if, if you want a position player or if you're, then you're taking Cruz. If you're looking for, at a pitcher, you're probably taking Skeens. Yeah. Skeens has a lot to like. There's just so much risk with those. I mean, there's risks with any prospect because we saw Davis had has had injury issues. Gonzalez has had injury issues. Johnson injuries. All of our first round draft guys have gotten injured so far. None of them have progressed nearly as quickly as we would have liked. Although Johnson's looking like he's catching fire. Maybe he makes it to Greensboro soon. Yeah, and you have to think, we also just drafted someone in, I believe it was, I don't know if it was a comp pick or the second round, who was recovering from Tommy John surgery. Second round, that was Hunter Barco. So, for me, if the talent Third is round? that good, then you, you have to, I don't want to say overlook that risk, but in today's game, Tommy John is nowhere near what it was. Like so many pitchers. That's true, but it also really slows down. Like Mike Burrows having Tommy John when he's right about to have that breakout, that's going to slow his career trajectory so much. If uh, like a Brubaker, it's not great, but he's established. He's gotten a little bit comfortable in major leagues, it's, I mean, there's never a good time to have Tommy John surgery, but I feel like Burroughs maybe got the worst time. So there's, there's never a good time to necessarily get Tommy John surgery, but right before a potential call up or within, you know, a month or two of a call up, it's obviously the one of the least ideal besides going into like the playoffs. Yeah. And that is just a risk of these guys hurling a tiny projectile at these superhuman speeds that position players don't have that specific risk. They have other risks. Can you know, tear a quad or a hamstring or slide and jack up your shoulder? Or who knows what? But I mean, you've, you've seen... 
some outfielders getting Tommy John. Has happened. Uh, Harper needed it. Was Harper playing Harper outfield when that it. happened? Otani. Otani needed it. Otani's a pitcher. He was an outfielder at the time, though. What? He was two-way. Yeah. But I think I think the injury happened while he was in the outfield. Okay. Yeah. I I mean I think that we're all pretty much saying like it should be Cruz. I'm I'm one Cruz, two Langford. And I know there are some high school candidates that are out there. I think if we're going one one, we're not gonna go with a high schooler. We we want somebody who's going to be fast tracked to the major leagues. Someone who can be in Greensboro by end of year, be in Altoona next year, and end the season in Indy. So, literally within two years, making it to the major leagues, half season at each level. That's what they need to be doing. Yes, and I think Cruz can do it, and I think Langford can do it. I haven't gotten to see a lot of him play, but, uh, or like really read too much about him because everyone's so high on Cruz, but no, Langford's pretty good. And you know who was teammates with Langford? That same guy you mentioned before, Hunter Barco, also out of Florida. Oh, there you go. All right, but let's keep it with the major leagues looking ahead to the series this week at home for three games against the Rangers. And then what do we have? Oh, travel day on Thursday and then a three-game set in Seattle against the Mariners. So Rangers, uh, first time that they've been in Pittsburgh for a three-game set since I think it was like 2002, seven, something like that. I wrote about it earlier today. I think it was 2007 was the last time they were there for a three-game set. Uh, Dane Dunning for game one against Luis Ortiz. Two, we've got Nathan Eovaldi versus Rich Hill. And then left-hander Martin Perez against Oviedo on Wednesday. So, I mean, it's a pretty good... We're not facing DeGrom because DeGrom's injured. Dane Dunning actually took his spot. No <laughs> I know. <laughs> Go figure. I think we match up okay in this. I don't feel like, although like we did really well against the best pitchers, so um, I, I think we could take two of three, which is surprising given how we've been doing with not winning any it's, series. It's going to be tough because Texas is having a really good start to the season. Like I don't think a lot of people expected them to be leading their division coming into June. Well, before 2022, they made a lot of moves to add to the team with guys like Marcus Simeon, uh, who they get Corey Seager. Yeah. I think they, I'm trying to think of what pitchers they added. They spent, they spent like over a billion dollars that off season. If I'm not like mistaken. a ton of money. And it, it, I think they've, Added a couple more pieces this past year. The Astros have been a little bit slow to start. The Angels are... They've got Trout, and they've got Otani, and that's pretty much it. Uh, Mariners are still really good. And unfortunately, we're facing them afterwards. So, (laughs) 
just one of those <laughs> fun things we're doing. But what's your prediction for the series? And then we'll talk through the Mariner series. Goodness. I'm going to be on the more pessimistic side and say one of three from Texas. Okay. I mean, it's good for I, us I need to, to see agree. more consistent. I need to see more consistent offense from the Pirates. And until then, they're not going to win many series in my eyes. Yeah, I get it. Um, Ortiz hasn't had a good start yet. I know it's only been two, but it's definitely concerning, especially going against that Rangers offense. I'm thinking Hill and Oviedo, that we win those two games. I still really want to go out for the game on Wednesday. I might. We'll see. All right, Mariners series. Take a, Mitch, take a long lunch. A really long lunch. Twelve thirty game. I can make it work. Mitch Keller versus George Kirby in his second season for game one. Rowanza Contreras versus Luis Castillo on Saturday. And then Sunday, Luis Ortiz versus Marco Gonzalez, who is a southpaw. I'm going to ask for your prediction first. (laughs) I'm much less optimistic about this one. That's funny, because this is going to be a tough lineup to get through for our pitchers. Yes. Young, talented, and... For whatever reason, I feel like we're going to take two out of three. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Even though I just got them saying until the offense shows me something. You're predicting that they're going to show you something in the Ranger series and then put it all together in the Mariner series. So we're flip-flopping because I'm saying we're going to win one of three. And so I'm thinking that we win Tuesday and Wednesday. And then we come back and win Ortiz's start on Sunday. Which will be fun because we've got Steve at the game on Sunday. And that will be our 50th episode. Unofficial 50th episode. Because we do a lot of like specials and things like that. But um, we're hoping to do something fun with that. We've talked about doing a live episode. But it's... It would be a bit of a challenge. It'll be tricky because we like we don't have technical issues as it is. Right. And then we got to get Steve on. That would be fun. Um, so we'll see. It would see. be fun. It'd be neat if we can actually have some listeners, if we did a live, potentially either, uh, you know, tweet out questions that they'd want to ask us or even hop on real quick and ask us something. I mean, that would be something different and neat for us. Yeah. All right. Hey, we, if you're listening to this by Tuesday, we will have it figured out if we're going to do a live episode and then we'll all be posting about it and get that set up so that we could do something. I don't know if I'll like record it and um, put it on YouTube did a special with Pirates Fan Forum with uh, Gary Morgan and Jim Stam on. Uh, we recorded on Thursday and did that live stream. It's a lot of fun, but hey, looking at my face doing it, so we'll we'll see about that. But that wraps it up for all of us here at the Four One Two Double Play Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at Four One Two Double Play. 
As always, I am still doing the game recaps for Inside the Bucks Basement on Sundays and Mondays, as well as posting the opposing pitcher previews daily on my Twitter account. The shop will be up eventually. I'm just going to post and advise when that happens. So we'll hopefully have something there. Um, we do have some cool stuff coming up down the pipe in addition to the store. TBD on announcements for that. Also, as always, uh, continue listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever else podcasts are found. Make sure to subscribe, click the notification button, whatever it is. Uh, make sure you hear when we drop new episodes. And from all of us here at the 412 Double Play Podcast, thank you again for joining us, and let's go Bucks. Let's go Bucks. <laughs>